If you'd never seen that before, when he started singing, you're like, what is this guy doing? He's probably going to die on the screen. <laughs> classic, classic. Hey, if you've been following along in Ephesians, you know uh, what passage we're going to today. Um, welcome to a beautiful summer day at Engage Boise. So thankful you're here with us, uh, where it's a nice climate-controlled 72. Uh, if you're brand new with us, I would love to say hello to you afterwards. I'll be in the uh, lobby uh, to shake your hand. Uh, still drinking my coffee, even though it'll probably be 100 degrees by then, because that's what I do. But we're just grateful you're here. We've got a coffee mug for you. Uh, we believe that God brought you to this church on this day for a reason. So we're really glad you're here today. Uh, talking, about, like I said, about a really well-known piece of scripture when it comes to husbands and wives. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so technically, that funny video did apply to what we're talking about today. But any chance to watch a funny video, right? Uh, thank you, those of you that came to our barbecue Wednesday night, which was a whole bunch of you. Uh, it was uh, awesome and packed, and it was hot outside. It was good to be in the house of the Lord, spend time together. Uh, we'll do another one at the end of August, uh, even maybe a little bigger as we get close to school, kind of like a, a, a back-to-school kickoff. I want to thank Marianne if she's in here. There's Marianne. Thank you. And Greg, thank you guys for your hard work. Give them a hand. They uh, really helped pull that thing off along with a bunch of other people. Greg was out there barbecuing in the hot weather until the barbecue decided not to work, and then we went inside and did it inside. So uh, thank you guys for your help. That was a huge blessing. Good to gather in the house of the Lord that day. Um, Yeah, we're going to get into our scripture for today here in a minute, which is Ephesians 5, if you want to turn your Bibles, get your devices ready. But first, I wanted to tease a little bit what we're going to be doing next week, because I'm really excited about it. Next week, we're going to be talking about this really small section of scripture that talks about the relationships between parents and children. And we're going to make a family day of it. It's the first Sunday of the month, so usually the kids would be in here and we'd have communion together, so they will do that. Uh, they're going to lead us in a song, the kids. If you've never seen them do uh, their worship songs, it's awesome. They're going to lead us in one of their songs. It's going to be great. Uh, Miss Olga, I'm trying to talk her into it. might teach a part of the message to the kids uh, in front of you, and uh, then I'll teach the second part. And we're just going to have a generally great time celebrating the family. Remember, at this church, we believe uh, if you love the family, you can change the world. Uh, we're going to talk about children obeying parents, parents not exasperating their children. I think we quote that one a lot to our kids. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But we forget the do not exasperate your children part. Uh, so we're going to talk about that next week. It's going to be awesome. Uh, so I encourage you, uh, come on out. It's going to be a beautiful, fun day uh, full of the things of the Lord. Uh, I love having kids around, man. It just uh, says that there's life, and I'm excited about it. I hope you were blessed by my friend, Pastor Kent, last week. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Um, He came and spoke last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go find it on YouTube. Uh, But it was awesome. Uh, This next part of of Ephesians, it takes an interesting turn. Paul finally, uh, these last few weeks, he got into the practical part of his letter, where he began to give us, as Christians, he's giving the Ephesians uh, specific stuff, specific instruction on how to live a Christian life. Some things we've touched on over the past few weeks. He talks specifically about morality, right? This is the way you are supposed to live. Uh, We talked a few weeks ago very honestly about uh, sexual immorality and how we are told to flee and go the other way. Don't even mess around with it. We talked some about telling the truth with our word and actions. One thing I remember that I wrote down and said is that you can't tell the truth to anybody until you tell the truth to yourself. And it's all wrapped around this concept of the fact that we are the light. 
We made this distinction because it's, it's in Ephesians. We're not just in the light, but we are the light. And for this last couple chapters, he turns to talking about specific relationships in our lives. And if we are the light, how those relationships work. So after one introductory verse, and that verse is very, very important, Paul jumps into what usually is one of the most formative, important relationships in a person's life. He jumps right into the mystery of marriage. And it is a mystery. <laughs> you see, often when it comes to marriage, we describe it like this simple equ- equation. One plus one equals two. You got the one half and you got the other half and, and it makes this nice tidy answer. The theory being that you need both sides, one and one, to get the answer. But what God says through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians here, and you're going to see it here in a moment as we read, is that marriage is a great mystery. Any of you who are married for any amount of time, maybe you've been married for a week and you're like, it is a mystery. You're right. You find that out maybe that husband and wife isn't a definite answer, but it's a beautiful mystery. And there's something about the, me- the best mystery. Some of you like a good mystery TV show or TV or movie. My wife loves these things, right? The good mysteries are never predictable. The ones where you know how they're going to end, man, those are lame. Those are boring. You just turned those off. One of my favorite mysteries is this movie called Ocean's Eleven. Anybody seen Ocean's Eleven? If you've seen it, man, never have I wanted to root for the bad guys so much. Right? The whole premise of the movie is this guy's going to get revenge on another guy by stealing like $20 million from his casino or something. And just about the time you think that have, you have that movie figured out, which is like 15 times during the movie, it takes this just severe left turn. And you're like, what just happened? I remember seeing that in the theater, and then as soon as it came out, I'm not a huge movie. I like movies, but don't, like, love, love movies. But when that came out, I went and got the DVD and watched it again so I could figure out what in the world was going on. One of the best mysteries I've ever seen. But if you sit down to watch a mystery movie and you've got it pegged from the beginning, then it's not much of a mystery. But a good mystery, those ones keep you guessing. And I think mystery is a pretty apt description for marriage. Pastor Kent, my friend, last week, he actually mentioned it. Because if you break it down to just this simple description, why in the world do we think this will work, except that God says it will, but why do we think it will work? You put two completely different people in the same house, and you say, okay, good luck. You know, just figure it out. A great example is my wife and I. My wife is amazing. We've been married 15 years. I am someone, if you spend that much time with me, you'll see besides, yeah, you know, my relationship with God and my family, uh, man, I, one thing I do is just eat, drink, and breathe sports. I, I love to read about sports. I love to play sports. My body doesn't, my body's kind of let me down. I'm terrible at all of them now, but I like to play sports, watch sports, show it to my sons, and my wife is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. She's not, like, mad about it, but if she never saw another sport the rest of her life, she'd be fine. But that's the great mystery of it. The two completely different people when it comes to some things can be greater than the sum of their parts. Because one plus one is not two. One plus one is a great mystery. And if we get it right, it's continually changing and getting better until uh, one or the other goes to heaven. One thing I want to avoid doing today is just giving you a whole bunch of marriage advice and calling it a sermon. Um, 
for one, I've only got 15 years in, and there's a whole bunch of you in here who are more qualified to talk about it. And there'll be other days to be more intentional about that. Of course, Chandra and I are willing to share what we've learned uh, over the years. But two, I think it's almost more powerful to just apply the scripture to our own lives. Because Paul says some awesome, very specific stuff in here. But the first thing we have to do is understand uh, that part of what we must do as Christians is we have to be the standards, standard bearers for what marriage looks like. I don't need to tell you I know that uh, marriage is under assault all over the world. Marriage, the way God designed it, is under assault, especially in the United States. And as the church, friends, it, it's our job to be the standard bearers for what it can look like when it's good and godly and healthy. But we can't start down that road of talking about what one plus one, what husband and wife should look like. We can't start down that road until we understand the gravity of this one verse. Ephesians 5.21 says this, very simple, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Really interesting. He puts that at the very beginning of this whole section about marriage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, he could have put it at the end of the last section, but he puts it at the beginning of this section. We're going to talk about biblically what marriage looks like. Before we do that, we have to understand that anyone who is a Christian should be humble and willing to submit to others, not just husbands and wives. And that's why I encourage you, even if you're not married, you never will be married, you have been married, and you're not anymore, don't tune me out this morning because this scripture is so important. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's besides the marriage relationship. There's principles in here that will apply to marriage and everything else, but it's so black and white. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not submit to one another if you feel like it out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another because you had a really good day and you feel like being gracious. No. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So important to realize that Paul says this first. This key component of Christianity, this key component to a good marriage is that we believe in the kingdom of God. No believer is superior to any other. There's no believer that is better than any other. Galatians 3.28, this is a huge scripture for the Christian faith, right? There is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every one of us, we are one in Christ Jesus. You see, before we can start doing the complicated math problem, and husband plus wife can be a complicated math problem, we've got to understand the basic concept, and that basic concept is we are children of God. Every one of us, no more, no less. We are children of God. And if we're going to start working on this complicated problem that is marriage, we have to know this. Submission to others flows out of our submission to God. You're not submitting to anybody else if you're not submitting to God first, at least not truly. Proverbs 9.10 tells us this, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. The bottom line is this, friends, if we don't have reverence in our heart towards Christ, there's not much chance we're going to truly be able to humbly submit to anyone else, let alone our spouse when they don't pull the car in the garage just right or don't make the dinner just right or, or fill in the blank thing. 
A heart of submission is just something that we as Christians should be working on. I'm not telling you it's easy because it's actually the opposite of what the world says. But that's just something that we as Christians should be working on. And if we're doing it, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, then we have a much better chance at a happy marriage. That's marriage advice I will give you. (laughs) Submit to one another, you'll have a much better chance of a happy marriage. A much better chance of following what this passage says, Ephesians 5.21. Through 33. So let's read the entire thing together. I'm reading this morning out of the NIV. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. So once we've established what uh, chapter 5, verse 21 says, that we must submit to each other, bottom line, we can talk about the first part, of the equation according to the scripture, which is, number one, the wife. Now, I'm just going to preface this by saying I'm not here to tell any of you who are wives, future wives, how to do every, the everyday ins and outs of being a wife. It'd be a really good way to get myself in trouble. And I, would, I mean, I wouldn't have good wisdom on it at all. My wife, she could speak much more effectively and honestly about it, as could others here who have some wisdom. And I'm certain we'll do that sometime, just not the direction I felt like we should go today. But what I can do is talk about what the scripture says and try and stick to that. For both wives in this section, husbands in the next, together at the conclusion, some of you, this might be the first time you read uh, that whole section together and you might have realized uh, what is in there, which is the thing for the husband is very, very serious. But we'll get there in a minute. I want to point something out here right away. Uh, there's no, nowhere in here, fellow husbands, where it says that you are to tell your wife to submit to you. It doesn't say that in there. Now, God, who's the creator of the universe, made me, made you, made all of us, he has something to say about it. But it's God that gives the command in his word, and it's not us. And despite what we think sometimes, guys, you know, when you accomplish some incredible task, you mow the lawn and it looks really green, you fix the car and save your family a bunch of money, make sure you get the kids to school on time. Despite any of that, you guys, we're not on the same level as the creator of the universe. I hate to break it to you. We're not the one that gets to give this command. Now, you are welcome to try, I guess, uh, but I don't see how that's what the Bible says. And don't you dare go telling anyone that the guy at Engage Boise Church told you that, that you get to go try and tell your wife that. 
There's not enough spare couches represented in the church to handle everyone if we all went and tried that. <laughs> Can you just imagine couches all over the church, right? Well, I tried that thing. He said it didn't work. And we laugh about it, but this verse honestly has been used throughout history by men, corrupt organizations to try and dominate their wives and other women in an unbiblical way. Husband, it's the Lord's job to reveal to our wives how this looks. It's his job. And he's faithful to do it. We do, however, need to realize how specific verse 22 is. I mean, it says it right there in black and white in your Bible. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. You see, the Bible, God himself, he does not call a woman to submit to every man, only to her own husband. Look at it there. Submit to your own husband as you do the Lord. God's calling wife to submit only to their own husbands. Also, it stands the reason that if she submits to her own husband, she's her own, he's her own, she submits to the one man that is hers. So she submits to her own husband, yes, but that husband also is in no, no, in no uncertain terms belongs to her. Not in any type of ownership way, right? We're not signing ownership certificates here. But the husband has a mandate. That, has, that husband has a mandate from God to be only her husband. She submits to her own husband, the one that belongs to her. Husbands in this place, if you've got a wife, you are her own. Got to realize that you are her own. Honestly, this scripture has been twisted to say some really harmful things. And one of those is that Every woman must be under the authority of every man. But once again, I don't think that's what the word of God says, and I don't think it could be much farther from the truth because it just says, submit to her own husband. And even when it comes to the wife and the way she interacts with her husband, the type of submission Paul is speaking of here and that God is directing us to do, it's voluntary and it's not forced. Voluntary submission, not forced. Here's what we need to understand is that the husband leads his wife by treasuring her heart and her life with the softest of hands. Absolutely, by not forcing his own will or his own desire. It's not that you don't lead, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he leads her by treasuring his heart and her life. We'll talk more about that in the next section, so just kind of put a bookmark in that for now. But what we need to know this morning is that submission does not mean blind obedience. If you're a wife in this place, submission does not mean blind obedience. A wife is not commanded to sin if her husband is telling her to sin. Again, this scripture has been used to twist it over the years. It simply means that respecting the husband, respecting that the husband is the head of the household is something the wife should do. And what Ephesians is telling us here is that God has set it up this way. It's his design that the wife should submit to the husband, allow him to be the leader of the household, and it's up to us to understand it and follow it as best we can. Even if at times it is a bit of a mystery. Even if, wives in this place, your husband looks like he doesn't know which way is up. Even if your husband couldn't uh, find his way around a NASCAR track. NASCAR tracks, you only turn left, by the way. It's a big oval, you only turn left. I thought I might have to explain that one. But if he's not sinning, wives, it's important to submit and to follow. 
Now, we do sometimes get this messed up idea of what this actually means. But I can tell you this, it has nothing to do with who brings home the biggest paycheck or who takes out the trash or who does the dishes or fill in the blank chore. It has nothing to do with that. And it doesn't just mean saying the husband is in charge of his wife and it's as simple as that. There's no discussion. That's the opposite of voluntary submission. You see, the husband being the head of the house, as it's saying here, of the wife submitting, it can look different in each house. There are, of course, traditional, normal things that are placed on marriage. And I'm not saying those are bad. But I ask you this. What if, because a traditional thing, right, is that the wife does the cooking. What if the husband is a better cook than the wife? Should the family eat terrible food the whole life just because we came up with some weird societal norm? What if the wife is better at fixing cars than the husband? Should you drive broken cars the rest of your life just so you fit into some little box? It doesn't have anything to do with tasks like that. It's not the specific task, but it's the heart that is demonstrated. Husbands, it's not the specific task, it's the heart that's demonstrated. Wives, it's not the specific task, it's the heart that's demonstrated. Now, in our house, you don't want me cooking unless it's like uh, grilled cheese or Pop-Tarts. Something you can put in the oven and take out. (laughs) But not everyone's like that. It's not the specific task, but it's the heart that's demonstrated from both the husband and the wife. What it means is that spiritually, and this is true for you husbands, spiritually, God's command to us is to lead. Look at what these next two verses say. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. I believe this whole section of Scripture is more about putting high responsibility on the husband than it is telling a wife to submit and keep quiet. And when Paul makes this comparison here, uh, we're starting to get an idea how important this concept here. You see, the husband is to follow the example of God. And the husband, when he follows the example of God, he's following the example no less than the creator of the world. There's a reason this is the first relationship talked about in this section about relationships. And just as God provides, protects, sacrifices for us, the husband is to provide and protect and sacrifice. Yeah, Jesus is the head of the church, and he's the one who leads us. And I hope you're understanding how important this is. Uh, God is comparing the relationship between the husband and wife to Jesus and his church. But Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one who leads us. But Jesus, he doesn't force us to do anything. Instead, it's our own free will that leads us to his, to submitting to his grace. And we submit to his grace because of his gracious love for us. In a similar way, the wife is asked to submit to her husband, commanded to submit to her husband here, but it's of her own free will. And to honor his responsibility to provide, protect, and sacrifice. Again, how it looks in different families is is different, but the husband's job, spiritually, provide, protect, sacrifice. And ultimately, to honor his mandate to lead the family. I'm not telling you, husbands, it's always easy. I'm not telling you, wives, it's always easy. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says here. But part of the great mystery is that somehow, when the wife submits... Not as a pushover, but in a biblical way, her heart's desire is somehow fulfilled. I'm telling you, it's a mystery. 
There's this author, Tony uh, Meriden, who I've been uh, reading about this book on Ephesians. Mentioned him a, a couple of times. He says this, the wife gives a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, to the world. And the husband gives a picture of Christ, the head of the church, to the world. You see the big job, friends? It's our job to show the world what the church looks like, what a biblical marriage looks like. This is the wife's half of the mysterious equation. She's given this command, submit to your husband, your own husband. But the husband is not to force the obedience in any way. By, sub- by submitting in this biblical way, she supports the husband in his quest to lead the family just as God commanded. And this leads us to the second half of the equation, the part Paul was starting to foreshadow in verses 23 and 24. The second half is the husband. Let's jump back in really quickly and just refresh our memories on verses 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Now, you might be thinking the same thing I was when I read that. And yes, the calling of the wife to submit can be difficult to do at times. But we need to notice a couple things right off the bat about the direction for husbands here. First, those verses that we read that were directed toward the wife we just talked about, went through and counted. It's 57 words. To the husband, Paul directs 104 words. Starting to tell us, hey, husbands, your job is big. And for the second one, it is so stark what verse 25 says. You see, the call on the husband is no less than to lay his life down for his family. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, that's a high calling. Now, in this society that Paul would have been writing to, we call it uh, Greco-Roman, there was this prevailing ideology that when it came to marriage, the wife had responsibility toward the husband, but the husband had none towards the wife. The husband was free to do whatever they wanted. In Christian marriage, like Paul is writing to them about here, it would have been a radical shift. And the truth is, this type of marriage where the wife submits to the husband, where there's mutual submission and the husband leads, lays down his life for his family, that type of marriage, it's a radical shift for a large part of our society in America in 2022. Unless we think that uh, the job of a husband is to go to work, come home, give orders, collapse on the couch, ask for the dinner. Jesus gives us, I think, quite a different example than that. Because the type of love Christ had for the church involved giving up the beauty of, pain, beauty of heaven for the pain and suffering of earth. The kind of uh, love Christ had for the church, it, love, it involved washing the filthy feet of other people. The type of love Christ had for the church, it involved a wooden cross and Roman nails, crown of thorns. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus did all of this because of his great sacrificial love for his church. What throughout the New Testament is called the bride of Christ for his bride. 
And when we think about it this way, it completely changes the way we think about a husband's job on this earth. Because being a husband, according to Ephesians 5, it involves setting apart our own desires, taking up the desires of the wife that God has given us. Many times, men, we think that marriage is this chance to be in charge. Yeah, good luck. But what it really is is a call to die to ourselves, to love every day with grace and kindness. And as we move through the, these verses, there's this beautiful parallel between Christ's love for his church and a husband's love for his wife. Look at this instruction in verse 26 and 27. gives us, it's beautiful, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any, any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul's giving us some invaluable practical advice here, all of us. He's letting us know that our goal as husbands should be that our wives know God better. That's where we're supposed to start. That's what he's getting at when he says to make her holy. It's not to come in with some idealized version of how to make our wife a better version of what we want, whatever that means. It's helping her to know Jesus in a true and a real way. And then trusting God for every result after that. I can tell you a thing for certain. This is a, a, some marriage advice you should take. If you want your marriage to be better, men, helping your wife know God better is a great place to start. But, man, I want you to know the way you do it is not by telling her to do it. If you've ever tried anything like that, you know that it never works, no matter what it pertains to. On the list of ways to help your family, go tell your wife what to do is like number 99,000 on the list. Don't even try that one. But crucially, husbands, we've got to understand the way we help our family know Christ better is by knowing him better ourselves. It has nothing to do with telling our wives what to do and everything to do with devoting ourselves to God every single day. In your personal relationships, it has nothing to do with telling others what to do, but devoting yourself to God every day. And when it comes to marriage, you see there's this really beautiful process that happens. You see the husband devotes himself to God. And in doing so, his heart begins to change, and he loves, and he cherishes his wife more deeply. And when he does that, the wife grows closer to God, uh, and she begins to more easily submit to him. The wife, because of her submission to God, she submits to the husband. And there's a blessing upon that husband and that wife and that family. And the cycle repeats itself over and over again. I think the parallel here is so beautiful. Christ gave his life for us so the church could be what it was always meant to be. Beautiful and spotless bride. Holy and blameless bride of Christ. And the husband is to give the everyday comings and goings of his life for his wife. So she can be what she was made to be. Someone who's daily submitted to God. I'm not telling you it's easy. I, I came up with this uh, anecdote a long time ago that when you get married, it's like uh, someone takes a magnifying glass and they just put it on you. The two of you, right? And all of your faults are just like magnified. And then when you have kids, it's like someone takes a bright light and like puts it on the magnifying glass. <laughs> Heats it all up. If you're a woman or a mom here who's unmarried, I want you to know something. Uh, 
it doesn't mean you can't have a vibrant, growing relationship with Christ without a husband. It's not what it's saying at all. Just that, if there is a traditional husband-wife relationship, if you are married, this is how it should look. Your husband should cherish you, love you, lead you, and you should submit. And if I could give any advice to those of you who are not married yet, I would say look out for a man who already exemplifies this in his life. If he says he'll start doing it when he gets married to you, uh, don't believe him. It just won't happen, most likely. Well, this is part of the husband's side of the mystery. Because our first uh, instinct, my wife was talking about this, when, she, when we do get a chance to do it together sometime up here, she was talking about how it's so easy to think the other person is the enemy. But that's part of the husband's side of the mystery, that if instead of telling his wife what to do at every turn, he starts to focus, focus first and always on his own relationship with God. And then, man, when we do that, our marriage begins to strengthen itself day by day. It's something spiritual that happens. You can't see it with your own two eyes necessarily, and there's not an equation like do this many days of focusing on God and your marriage will get this much better. It's not like that. But those who have tried it, who have tried to love God and love their wife, uh, those who have tried it, they would tell you it's tangible and real and it works. Verse 28 through 30, they give husbands some really obvious things to do. I just want to highlight one of them. It says, love their wives as their own bodies. Love their wives as their own bodies. There's a really important word that is left out. It doesn't say love their wives as if it, was, as if it were their own bodies. It says as their own bodies. You aren't pretending that you were together or together temporarily. In the biblical marriage, loving your wife, man, is the same as loving yourself. If you want yourself to be better, where you start is loving your wife. The marriage bond is so important and so intimate that the Bible says we are made as one with our spouse. And if you're made as one, if you are together, it's not like you're together, but you are together, the implications are really, really deep because if someone or something is just beside you, you can just turn and walk away at any moment. But if this thing is part of you, if this person is part of you, that part has to be good in order for you to be good. And if it's part of you, you can't just walk away. It takes some real pain and effort to cut it out. We're to care for our own life and the life of our wife, just as Christ does the church. And man, that means that if our wife thrives, then we thrive. It means if our wife struggles, then we struggle. And the husbands were to demonstrate 1 Corinthians 13. I heard them talk about that in men's Sunday school. This morning, love is patient, love is kind, does not boast. And regardless of the circumstances, man, here's the thing you've got to understand. She is ours. Your wife belongs to you. She's the only wife for you. Part of the mystery is that we're no longer separate entities, but we're one entity. Verse 29 in there reminds us that we're all members of the body of Christ. And Paul, he keeps going back to this because we have to grasp that all of us are members of the body of Christ. And we are, as a church, the bride of Christ. And our calling as a husband, we have one, 
is to give our very lives for our spouse. Nothing less than that high, high calling. Give our lives for our spouse. Now, most likely in the United States, you're not going to physically be called to give your life for your spouse. But surely it means uh, when you get married and you become one that uh, your desires and your motivations, many things about, how, about the way you live your life change. So you've got these two sides of the equation, and then you've got the wonderful, beautiful mystery that comes out of it. As we get ready to close here uh, pretty shortly, uh, as we read this, you run across a verse that you hear at just about every wedding you ever go to. We're meeting with a young couple after church uh, that grew up in youth group we were part of that are doing their wedding ceremony in September, and I'm sure we'll talk about this verse. I love the, the English Standard version of it, Ephesians 5.31. The ESV version says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. You see, the husband leads and he begins to hold fast. And when he does that, wonderfully, the man and the wife become one. And Paul, what he does is he reiterates two things at the end of the section. He kind of keeps going back to them. One is he's doubling down on the importance of the marriage relationship. This is the only thing he compares to his relationship with the church. In the New Testament, the church as the bride of Christ is something that's mentioned over and over and over again. And by mentioning them together over and over, Paul's wanting us to know how much this matters. You can't miss the importance of it. And then Paul sums it up in verse 33. Uh, he says, each one of you, however, each one of you also must love his wife. Each one of you. Just love your wife as you love yourself. And each wife must respect your husband. He's talking husbands to every one of us individually. I, husband, if Chandra, am to love my wife as I love myself. And each wife must respect her husband. Before we're done today, uh, I just have a, a few thoughts to kind of wrap it up. A little, I'm going to do a little bit different uh, conclusion than usual. But just a couple things. They're going to be on the screen and you can write them down and, and chew on them. One thing we need to understand is what gave Jesus authority on this earth and in heaven was his servanthood and his unending love. He didn't come to earth and say, give me all the authority, and that's why he got it. He got, came to earth and he had authority because he served and he loved. The husband, what gives us authority in our family and our household is servanthood and unending love. Indeed, given our lives. Another thought, the mystery of marriage is that when each one is submitted to Christ, it becomes much greater than the sum of its parts. It's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals a number you can't even put down on paper because it's so mysterious and amazing. It becomes much greater than the sum of, it part, sum of its parts. There's something I want you to leave with today. For the mystery to be investigated we must understand that both husband and wife have equal value, but different roles. Remember that first scripture we read from Galatians. Both husband and wife have equal value, but different roles. Now, the nuts and bolts of a marriage and a household, they look different in every household. What works in my house probably would not work in your house. What works in your house probably wouldn't work in mine. 
the husband and wife both have equal value. Today as we close, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Uh, why don't you go ahead, uh, bow your heads, close your eyes. Uh, we're going to dim the lights. If you're next to your spouse, uh, go ahead and take their hand. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read something over you. Uh, what it is, is it's the message translation of this passage that we just talked our way through and unpacked. And the message, if you don't know what it is, uh, when it comes to Bible translations, there's word-for-word translations, which like the New King James is, the NIV is, the NASB is, and there's these ones called paraphrases where they try to take uh, a thought and they sum it up. And Eugene Peterson, who's this uh, theologian, he's passed away now, he wrote this version called The Message. And there's parts of it, man, where it is powerful. So if you're here this morning, everybody's uh, eyes closed, even if you're not married. Uh, I'm going to read something over you, and that is the message translation of this passage that we just read. And it's more like a poem than a Bible passage. And uh, I want you to just let it wash over you if you're not married and hoping to be. Uh, let it find deep places in your heart and prepare you. I purposely don't have it on the screen because I want you to hear it. So would you bow your heads this morning? I'm just going to read it to you as we get ready to close. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did, the ch- did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two. They become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife. Loving himself and loving her. And how each wife is to honor her husband. Lord Jesus, uh, your word is strong and powerful, alive and sharp as a two-edged sword. Lord, I pray the things that we've talked about this morning, uh, there's a whole bunch of people in this place that have good and thriving marriages, and I I pray that uh, in all of those, uh, the things we've talked about in your word, um, that it would change and move us a little bit. Lord, for any in this place who might be struggling in their marriage, I pray they would take some of these things to heart. Lord, that there would be uh, wives in this place that uh, now they've heard your word, uh, maybe they submit uh, their husband's leadership in a way they haven't. But Lord, also that uh, there's men in this place uh, who need to maybe do um, less dominating and more cherishing. I pray you'd begin that, begin that change in their heart this morning. 
And Lord, as husbands and wives, they begin to serve you uh, more clearly, more like your word says. I pray that uh, you would do miraculous things in houses. Lord, I pray that the emotional temperature would be turned down. I pray that conflict would be resolved so easily it's like it never existed. Lord, I pray that understanding would begin between spouses that maybe they've never had before in their entire life, all because we're applying your word. Lord, I pray for those in this place who are unmarried. I pray that they would be able to do uh, what some of these concepts are, but they would live by Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord, I pray we would do that in our houses. We would do that in this church. We would do that in our community. Lord, I pray that your word would go with us. Your grace and your mercy would guide us. Uh, You'd breathe your life into every step that we take, every word we say this week. We pray these things in your holy and your matchless name this morning. Amen.